name of the Lord for everyone that is gathered here this evening. I hope we had a wonderful day. I know we have all gone to one place of work or the other, and uh, but the Bible says that those who wait upon the Lord, He renews their strength. May the Lord renew your strength tonight in the name of Jesus. As you come here, you will be refreshed by His word tonight in the name of Jesus. The glory and the power of the Lord will be made manifest in your life in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Um, I know as a custom at the Bible school, um, we are looking at um, Isaiah 58 today. Last week we looked at Isaiah 57. And I know that, well, uh, we normally do a review. So, um, how many people are participating in review tonight? One, two, three, four, five. Wow. Ah, I don't know. How many minutes each? One minute. minute. (laughs) Okay, in order of um, uh, you raise your hand first, then um, Pastor. Yes, ma'am. Praise the Lord. In my last uh, week, Tuesday, Mommy took us through Isaiah 57. And basically, Isaiah 57, I would say, is divided into two main parts. And the first harvest is um, basically 2 to 13, talks about the Israelites being involved in all idolatry practices. And, and including serving Molech. And because of that, God sort of concluded that when they call unto him during their time of trouble, we not hear them. But from verses 14 to 18, God gives a word of comfort for the contrite in spirit. And God sort of promised to listen to them when they call. So how do we apply all this to our lives when we have any form of idolatry in our lives, we can be assured that when we call to God, that we're not going to get answered by God. But when we have a contrite spirit and we are repentant before God at all times, before we call, God will surely hear and answer our prayers. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. Mommy taught us um, Isaiah 57, and from the first, for the first few chapters, it says, there's no peace for the wicked. And she, laid, she really made emphasis on how we raise our children, that we must make sure that we raise our children well, because if we don't raise them well, they'll be wicked, and they would not know the word peace. And she practically warned us that anyone that does wickedness to other people, they will not know the word peace. And said, then she, she, we went further and said, why should the righteous perish? They will perish if they turn to the ways of wickedness. We must be careful that we are not taken away before our time because of wickedness. And this is Isaiah 57 verse 1. Then she went further. She spoke to us about the characteristics of the wicked. They said, one, they do not fear God. This is Isaiah 57 verse 11. They are not truthful to him. They have no remembrance about all he has done. And she she specifically said that we must always remember to thank God, we must fear God, and we must be truthful to him and to his children. And may the Lord bless his holy word. Amen. Amen.
Praise God. Hallelujah. As Pastor has already talked about um, and the verse 1 there in chapter 57, where God was actually um, talking about the death of the righteous, and people will be surprised how the righteous have died. Um, the narrative goes back to 56 verse 10, as, as a matter of fact, I would say from verse 9, where God started inviting um, God had talked about and giving comfort to foreigners to say, come into the church and don't feel yourself as foreigners anymore. And then all of a sudden, they started inviting wild beasts into the church to devour. But it devour, the, the wild beasts, when they come in, they have one set of people that they'll devour, and he mentioned them by name. He called them the, the blind watchman. And if you contrast that with the watchman of Isaiah chapter 62, verse 6, where God has placed the watchman by the door. Um, so obviously the watchman is very important to God. But here he refers to the same watchman. It's blind, dumb, ignorant, uh, KJV says. But NIV will say mute dogs. Um, essentially, these are people in the church. Who, but in, more importantly, they are in leadership. So as a leader in the church, we should know that God watches over his flock. And I've gone past my minute, but more importantly, we should be careful about how the way we lead the people of God. Praise the name of the living Jesus. Praise the Lord. Uh, my own contribution, although I wasn't here last week, but when I was reading, this was what I got from Isaiah 57, verse 19. It says, creating praise on their lips, peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. So what I just wrote here, what I actually derived from this is that with the fruit of our lips, we should continually thank and praise God through Jesus Christ our Lord and openly profess his name. We can also see that in Hebrews 13:15, The God of peace and Jesus, the Prince of peace, is saying this to everyone, both to those who are far off and to those who are near. Reference to this was also made by Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, 11 to 17. This peace is actually extended to all Jews, Gentiles, strangers, and servants, and the like. As believers, we already have that peace of God in us. Jesus said he has given to us his peace. This is the legacy of his peace, which he has given us. See John 14:27. So he has become our peace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. For those who are yet outside his kingdom, sinners and the light, there is peace with God. So in concluding now, beloved, how do we continue to receive this true peace from Jesus Christ? We must continue to have faith and believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We should cease from doing evil. We should also create from believers. We should also cease from believing in ourselves. And we should know that unto Jesus' name, we should surrender everything. May the Lord strengthen and empower us as we all continue that lead endeavor to please Jesus Christ in his kingdom. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. As uh, Bigness Mercy have said, um, this book of Isaiah 57 verse 1 to 13 speak about pride and loss. So I'm going to look at verse 7 and 8 which reads... Verse 7 and 8 said, um, These I will bring to, those, bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. The burnt offerings... Sorry, it's not... Sorry, sorry. I'm reading for 
56. 57 said, verse 7 said, You have made your bed on a high and lofty hill. There you went up to offer your sacrifice. Behind your doors and your doorposts, you have, you have put your own pagan symbols, forsaking me, you uncover uncovered in your bed the thing is god is comparing our relationship with him with marriage god is saying god is likening our attitude and relationship with him with marriage and god is saying to the children of israel there that they have they have they have um, defied their marriage bed they have defied the relationship so we in our so it's in our relationship with god adultery breaks beautiful bond of unity when the people turn from god and give their love to idols god accused them of spiritual adultery so he said they have committed spiritual adultery breaking their exclusive commitment to god the people gave their love to worthless woods and stones but today ask yourself what is your own idolatry? What, what is our... These days we don't worship woods and stones. Your idolatry could be lost. Because 1 to 13, speaking of loss, those in law, speaking of 1 to 13, speaking of pride and loss, pride could be your idolatry. Your work could be your idolatry. Your money, your house, what your, your position in the society could be what your... Uh, you put before God that could be your adultery and God is deferring referring it to somebody who committed adultery we have forsaken our first love so the question for you and I today is have we forsaken our first love which is Jesus do we remember the first time we met Jesus do we know do we still remember what the commitment we give do we still remember our hearts that we gave to Jesus what happened to it today Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, my taking is when I read it, it was um, verse 2 that says, um, Those who walk upright enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. So, which means peace comes from God. If God has not given you peace, you cannot have peace. Um, because I read the book of Psalm 29:11 says that the Lord gives strength to his people, the Lord bless his people with peace. So peace can always come from God. And at the end of that verse, he said, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So anyone that does things that are wicked, they will not get peace because this is the word of God. And the word of God also said that we should pursue peace at all costs. And we should always be at peace with all men because the word of God says that if we are at peace with God, he will make our enemies to be at peace with us. So which means if we are dead, even in death, there is no peace. So it is so that only people walk upright in Christ. When they are dead, there is a peace in their lives. Bless the Lord. I want to bless God for everyone that contributed and well, those of us that are enjoying the contributions too. I think um, Isaiah 57, um, we, there are key things that we can take away from, from it. I know Mommy emphasized that well, there is no peace for the wicked. Wickedness is a terrible thing. Wickedness is anything that is elevate itself above God or that places that is placed before God. 
whatever it is that we indulge in that puts God in a second place uh, makes us uh, uh, wicked. Um, she also um, dwell on uh, particularly on uh, uh, verse 1. And um, why is it that, I mean, the righteous, uh, said, the righteous perish and no one uh, ponders in it? The righteous perish because, well, the, the, once the righteous begin to put his hands in things that will take him to hell, uh, instead of, I mean, uh, instead of God just watching him destroy himself, he takes, I mean, he takes him home. And it's, he, they, he teaches us a, le- a good lesson that, well, whatever it is that we are doing in the open, God sees whatever we are doing in the secret. He knows it. He knows what we are doing in the secret. And so, whether in the secret or in the open, God sees everything that we are doing. So, we need to learn to watch whatever we are doing, uh, wherever it, whether it's openly that men can see, or whether in the secret uh, that uh, may not be easily seen. Now, she also dwells extensively on uh, the characteristic of the wicked, uh, the wicked leaders, particularly those who lead people astray, lead the, particularly the people of God who lead them astray, wicked leaders. Um, also, that the wicked leaders too, they persist in their own ways. And that, well, God is waiting for the wicked ones. God is not interested in the death of the wicked because the end result is eternal damnation. But God waits for the wicked to repent, and that's the, what uh, gives God uh, joy. So, whatever it is, like I me, mean, my sister has uh, said, whatever it is that constitutes idolatry in our lives, we need to examine ourselves. We need to watch it, and we need to uh, take steps to correct whatever it is that, that, um, that may hinder or stand against our going uh, to um, enjoy eternal rest at home instead of eternal damnation. May the Lord bless his word in Jesus' name. And it actually set the stage for chapter 58, which we are looking at today. And um, today we are looking at true fast. True fast. In uh, Isaiah 58 verse 1, it starts by saying, Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. Now, in this um, scripture, um, God told the prophet that he should make a declaration. That declaration, he should shout it aloud. When you, begin to, when you see someone begin to shout, there is emergency. There is something which is very crucial to be said. And God says, do not hold back. Say it with all the ability in you. Say it with all the strength in you. He said, raise your voice like a trumpet. The trumpet is used to summon maybe uh, uh, the, an army to battle. 
So it is such a crucial uh, issue that God wants to pass across. And it, that's why he told the a prophet that shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice. What is the declaration that God is about to make? He said, declare to my people. So God is sending a message to his people. God is sending a message to us as the church. God is sending a message to us who know him. And as he once said, that's why God feels that, look, there is a burning need to get this message across. And what's the message? He said, declare to my people their rebellion. And to the house of Jacob their sins. So there is rebellion in the life of the people of God. There is sin in their life. And God cannot behold iniquity. God cannot live with it. And these are people that are his heartbeats. These are people that he loves so much. These are people that he has made wonderful provisions for. And so that's why the message becomes so urgent. That look, you need to tell these people there is rebellion. Rebellion, like he said in First Samuel 15:23, he said rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It's as bad as that. Rebellion amounts to a rejection of God and His Word. So there's something going on in the life of the people of God. In verse 2, he said, For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right. And has not forsaken the commands of its God. Praise the Lord. So we are talking of people who actually know God. We are talking of people who seek God day after day. People apparently who are devoted to God. But there is something that is not right within them. And that's why, I mean, in spite of all those efforts, in spite of all those, I mean, uh, uh, efforts that the, the people are making, there's something that is not right. He said, they ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. They ask me for just decisions. How do they ask God for just decisions? They pray to God. They ask, they know the word of God. They ask God, why is this thing going on in my office? Did you not say that the rod of the wicked shall not be the lot of the righteous? Why should this thing persist? And then they say, God, you have to intervene. But there is no answer. And we see, uh, he said, they ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. It's in verse 3, say, why have we fasted, they say. So apart from praying, apart from doing everything, apart from serving him, the people, they run to church, they go out of their way to serve the Lord. But there, is, there are issues in their lives. And as regards those issues, they are fasted. 
But then the issue still persisted. And then they turned to the Lord. Um, in verse 3, he said, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So, having done everything that they know to do, they now turn to the Lord that, Lord, I think we need to have a discussion. You said I should serve you, I have been serving you. You said I should fellowship, I have been fellowshipping. Now I have this issue. This issue persists in my life. In an effort to resolve the issue, I have fasted, I have done everything. But then this issue has refused to go away. Why? And then they begin to get angry at God. And sometimes that's what happens to us. Because the issue in our lives, sometimes it refuses to go away. Sometimes the enemy brings weariness to us. And then we begin to query God. And then we begin to wonder, that is God really there? If God is there, why is it that I mean, I have done everything and this thing has not gone away. But there are issues there. And so, in verse 4, he said, Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. That's a serious thing for God to say. God says that in the day that we fast, you, we do as we please. That is to say that, well, our fasting as, is not a, the right kind of fasting. That's to say we are fasted, but we are fasted amiss. It says, uh, and you exploit all your workers. So we fast not in the right way. How do we, why is it not in the right way? We fast and then our fasting is still based on things that, there are issues in our lives that we refuse to settle. There are issues in our life that we refuse to sort out. And then we fast thinking that, well, we can hold God captive, like our father-in-law would say. Our fasting cannot hold God captive. Whether we want to fast a hundred days, whether we want to fast sixty days, that does not move God. There are other things that move God. Or apart from the fasting, there are things that move God. He said, um, on your day of fasting, yet on your day of fasting, you do, you do as you please. We backbite. We are fasting, but then that does not stop from backbiting. We are fasting, but that does not stop us from being unmerciful to other people. We still remain unmerciful in our ways. We still remain unchanging in our way. We still remain unbending in our way. Our language, they still do not glorify God. There are issues in the life of the people of God. And the Lord is saying that, well, these issues have to be dealt with. Praise the name of the Lord. In uh, verse um, um, 4, he said, Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with the wicked fist. You cannot fast 
as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. There are issues in the life of the people of God. He said, even when we are fasting, our fasting, we are still in strife. Somebody offends us and we say, oh, we cannot forgive the person. There are still issues in the life of the, peop- of the people of God. Because it's a God that says that to the merciful, I will be merciful. So while we are first fasting, God wants us to be merciful. He wants us to show mercy. But we are not showing mercy even to our fellow human beings. We are not showing mercy even to the people under us. These are the issues that God is talking about. So in spite of that, whether we, fight, whether we fast a hundred days, it will not matter. As long as we have not dealt with the issues in our lives, God cannot hear us. He said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So, in that state where iniquity is still residing in our lives, God says that he cannot hear us. Praise the name of the Lord. In uh, verse 5, he said, is this the kind of fast I have chosen? That kind of fast that, well, you are so much in your life. Is that the state where you fast and God will hear? He says, is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? Or for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? Is that an acceptable day uh, to the Lord? So, the point that uh, the, the, the scripture is trying to pass across to us here is that sometimes when we fast, we appear to look humble. We bow our heads. But bowing our heads and looking sober is not the issue. That doesn't move God. Our physical appearance only does not move God. Our physical appearance will move God only if it's a reflection of what of the state of our hearts. Now, he talks about, he said, um, is he only for bowing one's head like a reed? And for lying on sackcloth and ashes. Now, in those days, when you are fasting, you put, I mean, you put on sackcloth, you put on ashes. Those are symbols that you are mourning. But if our physical, if it's just physical appearance that we are mourning, if it does not reflect the state of our hearts, then it's not acceptable to God. The kind of mourning that is acceptable to God is the kind of mourning, it's, it's godly repentance from our hearts. That's the kind of thing that moves God. Um, I said here that what is the purpose of a true fast? And we are lucky, or we are blessed, I will say, that a few uh, weeks ago, the apostle gave us a teaching on fasting. 
and he defines, he said, the purpose of uh, fasting, he said, fasting is a means by which we return to God so that we can find grace and compassion. Fasting is not just, um, like I say, it's not something that we use to, um, to, uh, 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 to ambush God. Sometimes our fasting seems like we are trying to ambush God. Sometimes our fasting, it looks like we are trying to twist the hand of God. If we persist in our wicked ways, and then on top of it, we are fasting, we are just trying to ambush God, and we cannot do that. But fasting, or true fasting, is to return to God, so that we can find grace and compassion. Apostle read from, to us from Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Joel chapter 2. Can we have this on the board? Joel 2, verses 12 and 13. He said, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, and weeping and mourning. So the purpose of fasting, can you just go back? It said, return to me with all of your hearts. So when you are fasting, the important thing is your heart. What is the state of your heart? That determines whether the fasting is unto God Oh, we are just, I mean, we are just playing um, hide and seek. The next verse. He said, rend your heart and not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Rend your heart and not your garment. It is the heart that matters and not the outward appearance it is not just us bowing our heads it is not just our looking somber it is not just we branding our our clothes that's not what moves god what moves god is the state of our heart now I said yeah, from uh, the passage we see that uh, what is uh, that is your heart and not your garment that matters when fasting. But what do we see the people do when fasting? We see that where we're just doing whatever pleases us. We pretend to be fasting, but inside us there are ravenous woes going on. Inside us we still remain unforgiving. Inside us, we still refuse to walk as God will want us to walk. That will not take us anywhere. The people remain unmerciful as they were before fasting. In um, Psalm 18:25, let's look at that. Psalm 18:25. Hallelujah. Is somebody there? Praise the Lord. He said, To the faithful 
you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. So, it's only to those who are faithful to God. Hallelujah. Um, it, um, can you give me the King James Version? He said, to the merciful, thou will show thyself merciful. To receive mercy, we need to be merciful ourselves. So we need to be merciful. We need to show mercy to other people. When somebody offends us, we need to show mercy. We need to be able to move on. We need to be able to overlook uh, whatever they have done. Why? Because God is merciful to us too. How many things will he consider? If we are to consider our own way of behavior, we won't, I mean, there will be no forgiveness. But God made provision for us. He said, even when we are yet sinner, He sent Jesus Christ to die for us. He made provision for us, even while we are still living in sin, even while we are still rebellious. He made provision so that we can come back to Him. If He can do that for us, what is it that other people can do to us that we cannot forgive? What is it that we cannot overlook? Praise the name of the Lord. So when fasting, our attitude and our tongue remain the same. We are still not disciplined in our tongue. We still say things that does not glorify God. We remain quarrelsome. We backbite. We are quick to condemn other people. Behind their banks, uh, I remember I remember watching what mommy said here, that um, Apostle said something that we said something about jealousy. People are still jealous in the church. People are still backbiting in the church. These are things that does not fit us as Christians. These are things that we need to turn away from. And particularly when we say, okay, we are we are fasting, so that God can intervene in our matters. We need to change our ways. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. As long as we remain in that state, the Bible says in Isaiah uh, chapter 1 verse 13 that our, our offerings, our, our, obli- our, our, obli- our oblations, they are meaningless. They are meaningless oblations. Unless we change the state of our hearts, unless we change to ways that please the Lord, whatever we do, they are meaningless before the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, coming to true fasting, God has given us clear instructions when it comes to fasting. In Isaiah 58 verse 5, let's look at that. Uh, it says something towards the end of that scripture. He said, Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is, is it only for bowing one's head like a reed for, and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? And that's what I want us to see. Fasting should be 
a recognition of a day that is acceptable to the Lord. A day that we do things that are pleasing to the Lord. A day that we see us returning to the Lord. So that's one of the purpose of a true fast. We must see our fasting as a day that is acceptable to the Lord. It's very important. It's not a day that we seek to gratify ourselves. It's not a day that we seek to, uh, we just want to satisfy ourselves. But it's a day that we seek to satisfy our maker. So that's one essence of a true fast. Talking of a true fast, it's a day to reflect on our heart's condition. When we fast, that's the day that we should sit back and begin to reflect. Look at your heart condition. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of your mouth? What are the things that are going on in your heart? Are they things that please God? I said the Lord is concerned with the inward parts. Psalm 51 verse 6. Psalm 51, verse 6. Amen. He says, Surely you desire truth in the inner part to to teach me wisdom in the inmost part. God desires truth in the inner part. So God is considering our heart. So when we are embarking on a fast, we must examine our heart. God takes no notice of our physical display, which has no relation to our uh, condition. For example, well, I say here, physical display may in fact be a sign of hypocrisy. Let's look at Matthew uh, chapter 6, 16 to 18. Sometimes when we put on a physical display, it's actually a sign of hypocrisy. He said, when you fast, do, do not look so sober as hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward. Next verse. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. So that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So sometimes when we put on that physical display, it's just, we are just being hypocritical about it. When we are fasting and we frown our faces, when we are fasting, like mommy said last week, or was it uh, me, uh, me, one of our, 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 our messages. When we are fasting, we don't wash, we look unkempt. Just because, I mean, we want to let people know that, oh, something really is going on in our lives. It's just evidence of hypocrisy. Fasting should be something between us and the Father. I said, buying our heads is an outward show of humility, but the Lord takes no notice. But the Lord takes notice of the humble spirit. 
in Isaiah 57:15. Amen. It says something that he said, For this is what the I am and the lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in high I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So what God is looking at is not we just bow in our heads. What he's looking at is what goes on in our heart. And he loves it when we have a humble heart and of a contrite spirit. It's also, I said, putting on of sackcloth symbolizes mourning. These two must be outward sign of godly sorrow expressed from our heart. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Second Corinthians 7 uh, 20. Second Corinthians chapter 7 verse 20. He said, make room for us in our heart. We have uh, wronged no one. We have uh, corrupted no one. Can you give me the king? Verse 20. 720. Hello? Is that 720? Praise the Lord. Okay, I think I'll get that later. Um, it's a godly, um, godly sorrow brings repentance. I'm sure it's in Second um, Corinthians 7. Is it 10? Okay, sorry. Okay. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Godly sorrow, we, when, we, when we have examined ourselves, we need to turn around. When we turn around and we forsake what was wrong in our lives and then we move on that is that reflects godly sorrow it brings repentance you, to repent is not only to acknowledge that you have been doing something wrong but you have turned away from it and you forsake it that is repentance it is not that oh that oh i saw that oh what i've done is wrong you not only acknowledge it but you need to forsake uh, whatever it is that you are doing wrong. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Talking about godly fast. Godly fast loses the chain of injustice. Praise the Lord. Uh, let's go back to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. Um, in verse 6, he said, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen 
to lose the chain of injustice. When we are fasting, the kind of fast that is true is the kind that, well, it, you lose the chain of injustice. Like I said before, maybe you, there, you have an issue with someone and you make up your mind that, no, I cannot forgive him. Have you been just to that person? Have you even been just to yourself? You have not only been unjust to yourself, but you have tied a bond, I mean, of injustice. Because when you say, oh, I'm not going to forgive someone, there's something in you that you, it's like you say somebody is not going to move. Somebody, you stand in front of someone, you say he's not going to move. What it means that you yourself, you are not moving from that point. Although the person is not going to move, but you yourself, you are not going to move. So that's the kind of thing that we do when maybe we are living in unforgiveness. We are tying ourselves. You are putting somebody under bondage. You are putting yourself to under bondage. But a time of fasting is a time that you lose that chain. You lose the chain of injustice. Wherever it is, maybe somebody is working for you. You need to show justice and mercy to them. Maybe somebody, maybe it's in your office. Maybe it's even the house of God. Maybe you are a leader in, I mean, maybe in a department. You need to show mercy. Because when you don't show mercy, you are showing, in, you are being unjust. Not only to yourself, but to other people. But a time of fasting is a time that you need to lose every bond of injustice. As a godly fast unties the cord of yoke. Praise the Lord. Another one is that godly fast propels you to love like God. It is time to show, a time of godly fast is the time to show charity to the poor. Sharing your food with them, providing shelter for them. Praise the Lord. The Bible says that he that show mercy to the poor, he lends to the Lord. Let's look at, um, I'm sure I didn't quote it well, Proverbs 19, 7. Proverbs 19, verse 7. A poor man is shown by his relative. How much more is his friend avoids him? Though he pursues them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. Praise the Lord. I think, um, um, well, that's uh, not exactly what I want. He says uh, that he that lends to the, uh, he that show mercy to the poor, he lends to the Lord. Hallelujah. So when you show mercy to the poor, you are doing something that pleases God. So a time of fasting is a time to show charity to other people. It's not just about you. Fasting is not just about you. Yes, you have something that is pressing. Yes, you have an issue that is pressing that you want the Lord to resolve for you. But you need to do it in a way, you need to do it on God's terms. 
Many times we want to get, get things done on our own terms. But God is telling us that when we need to get things done and we are fasting, we need to get it done on his terms. And his term is that, well, you don't just focus on yourself. You have to focus on other people too. You, it is time that you need to show mercy to people. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's look at Matthew 25, 35 to 40. Matthew 25. He said, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I'll tell you the truth. Wherever you did for one of, uh, of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. So when we do these things, we are doing things that are pleasing to the Lord. When we fast, a fast that is a true fast, a fast that is pleasing to God, we need to do all these things. And when we are doing these things, we see that well, we are actually pleased, we are doing things that is pleasing to the Lord, and we will see that answers to whatever we are asking God, it comes as quickly as, uh, or quicker than we ever think. So it is time for us to open our bowels of mercy and not gloat over the downfall of our neighbor. We need to, whoever it is that the Lord has placed in our path, we need to be considerate to them. Like I said earlier, fasting is not just about us. It is about God, focusing on God and what he wants. Praise the name of the Lord. When we do it that way, we will begin to reap the benefits that God has outlined if we look at uh, from verse 12 of um, Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, sorry. From verse 8, sorry. From verse 8. He said, Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Praise the Lord. Verse 9. He said, Then you will call. And the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, 
and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Praise the name of the Lord. That's what happens when we fast on God's time. That's what happens when we, do, when we fast doing it God's way. God will begin to make things to happen in our lives. He said, your, 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 your light will begin to shine. Your life will begin to shine. Amen. He said, your healing will begin to spring forth. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Um, let's look at verse 11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-water garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Verse 11. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundation. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Now, what is it that you are looking for that is not outlined here? Everything that you may want is already outlined. But you get it only when you begin to do it God's way. And as we begin to turn and do things God's way, the Lord will begin to uh, answer us. He said, I will answer you even before you call. And that will be our portion in the name of Jesus. In verse 13, God uh, reminds us how he commands that we must keep the Sabbath. If you keep the Sabbath from breaking, if you keep um, your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, a day of fasting is a holy day to the Lord. So it's a day, it's not a day that you fill your days with activities. Yes, I realize that sometimes we fast and we have to go to, I mean, to work. But then we must take out quality time to reflect on God. We must take out quality time to honor God. We must take out quality time um, to pray. Like mommy said when he was uh, talking about Sabbath, he said um, Sabbath is about I mean, honoring God and praying. Sabbath is about you honoring God. It's a time you honor God. He set aside the Sabbath so that we can get refreshed. We can get refreshed by His Word. That's what the Sabbath is for. And that's why maybe when well, on our own Sabbath, we must take out time to reflect on God. We must take out time to wait on Him. When we wait on Him, it will refresh us. God wants to refresh us. God wants to renew us. He wants to renew His power in us. And we, if we are always on the go most of the time, where is the time for God to refresh Himself in us? 
So we must take time to observe the Sabbath of the Lord. To keep the Sabbath means to honor God, to pray, and to rest. We must learn to step back from our daily pleasures and activities, but we must take delight in the things that pleases the Father. The Sabbath is time to step back from all that we are doing, from all our busy activities. We must step back and reflect God. And when we do this, we see the benefits that is outlined in verse 14. Let's look at verse 14. He said, Then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high places of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, the mount of the Lord has spoken. Observing the Sabbath of the Lord enables us to get refreshed. We are renewed. And then because we have the we are operating in the power of the Lord, the Bible says that it will cause us to ride on our high places. So it will take you beyond that which you are even asking for. It will take you above the level that you are asking for. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond that which you can even ask or imagine. That is the God that you serve. But he wants to, he wants to fill you with himself. He wants to fill you with his power. He wants to fill you with his ability. But that he is able to do that when you take time off. To reflect on his word. When you take time off to honor him. When you take time to pray and be refreshed by him. And as we do that one, the Lord will uplift us in the name of Jesus. In summary, we can look at true fast as um, as a time to reunite or to return to the Lord. It's a time to return to the Lord. It's not just a time, like I said, that, well, you just, oh, I need a car. Lord, I need a car. The money must come. And then we pray. We pray, pray, and then we begin to fast. It's all just about yourself. Lord, I need a house. He knows that you need a house. Lord, I need a wife. He knows that you need a a wife. Lord, I need a husband. He knows that you need that. Whatever it is that you are asking for, he knows that you need them. But when you are asking, he wants you to ask on his own terms. So when you are praying, you need to observe that well, you are actually doing something as unto the Lord. So you shouldn't approach him just, I mean, with that, I mean, uh, attitude of I, me, and myself. God does not want you to approach him in that way. He wants you to approach him on his terms. He wants him to, uh, to observe, to do things the way he will do it. To make sure that, well, you um, take care of your neighbors, not only yourself. I said, uh, a true fast is fasting unto God. It is intended to honor and please God. 
a true fast requires us to turn from our evil ways. We need to examine ourselves. We need to turn from everything. What it is, is, is it that we are not doing right? How is our heart not right with God? How is our ways not right with God? We need to be able to identify those and turn from them. We need a true repentance and turn to the Lord. A true fast requires us not to be self-centered, but to be God-centered and be considerate to our neighbors. And as we do that, we see the hand of the Lord upon our lives. In Jesus' name, praise the Lord. I rest my case.